0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ethan Cole. And this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight through the product lens on some of the exceptional founders we have as part of the LA community in an unedited one-take organic conversation. Our guest today is Daniel Shaw. Thanks for coming down, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, excited. This is going to be a good one. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors. We're brought to you by Unita. Unita Club is a co-working space that sets itself apart. With locations in El Segundo, Manhattan Beach, and Hermosa, UNITA is where creativity flourishes. Unlike traditional offices, they provide an inspiring environment where ideas can thrive and businesses can grow. With UNITA, there's no hidden fees, flexible terms, options for dedicated offices and unlimited access to conference rooms, a photo studio, a podcast studio much like this one, plus standard 3D printers and 24-7 access to any of their locations, they're local champions who support neighborhood businesses, open their event spaces to nonprofits, and celebrate art, music, and culture. Join Unita Club and experience coworking like never before. Learn more at www.unita.club, U-N-I-T-A dot C-L-U-B. We're also brought to you by the Product Manager Association of Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They're the largest professional organization for product designers in LA with more than 3,000 members from over 500 companies. They host monthly meetups, organize the product leader council, and have a mentorship program where they connect working product managers with students from underrepresented groups to build a better, more diverse next gen. To learn more about PMA, go to PMA.LA. To learn more about the mentorship program, go to PMA.LA/slash mentorship. Our guest today is Daniel Shaw. He's the co-founder and co-CEO, sorry, co-founder and CEO of Autumn, just the one. Uh, Daniel, could you please give us a, a 30 second description of what Autumn is?
1: Yeah, sure. So Autumn is an end of life marketplace that helps bereaved communities manage life after loss with free guides and tools and helps end of life providers find new customers to grow their business. We specifically say that we're an end of life marketplace, not necessarily focused only on death care because there's a misconception that death is just a couple of weeks and, and just a funeral home. Right. But actually. The process of what to do after someone dies can take upwards of a year plus to complete. It's an enormously complicated legal, financial, emotional, and logistical challenge. And actually, nearly 50% of the money that people spend on death happens outside of a funeral home. And interesting. Death is actually this very circumstantial personal experience. It really depends on who you are, where you are, your financial situation, your, your religious background. Uh, And and obviously very specifically what state you're in, because each uh, end of life laws are different in every state. And so what this really starts looking like is a very fragmented uh, local services business. And the entire sort of category is offline. It's still this enormous white space. When you look around the internet, it's really weird because every market has been sort of upended by the web and yet death is still strangely offline. And They're analog. still using the Yellow Pages? An analog. I mean, death certificates are pieces of paper you have to get from the government. It's crazy. It's just one small example. And so my thesis is that the only way to really bring the category online and benefit people is to make sure that it really helps everybody, because there's a lot of forces that prevent it from actually being online. It benefits a lot of these sort of incumbents, and, uh, and uh, people who sort of historically have just sort of benefited from people walking down the street and blindly purchasing the products and services forever. And so marketplaces are inherently symbiotic and that means we are free to consumers and we help these businesses find you know, new customers to grow their business, which is really the way that we think we can sort of build trust and transparency into historically an opaque market.
0: So, so from like a product perspective, you, you guys help connect people who are, you know, that they've just lost a, a loved one and they're trying to navigate the, I guess, I guess marketplace of what are the things that they're going to do next? And it's not just a funeral. I think that is a, a commonly held conception, which it sounds like it's a misconception. It's the funeral. And that's the biggest piece of it. Um, and so Autumn helps drive that navigation through that marketplace for these folks who are, who are bushwhacking through the wilderness.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the our central thesis is that the biggest problem for consumers is you don't know what to do and if you don't know what to do you don't know who to hire or what to buy and historically uh, this sort of i mean I, I feel weird calling them consumers these bereaved people it's right. an awful experience but when you're dealing with that and you're overwhelmed by it you sort of just blindly go through the process and uh, historically no one quarterbacks the rest of it and so yes uh, there have been issues uh, in the death care industry where there have been predatory practices and selling products and services that people don't need and then after that lots of money lost uh, for uh, estate planning or not knowing how to actually manage all the accounts that are necessary to close and it's an enormously complicated convoluted process that no one quarterbacks so we think the best way to help people guide through that is a 10x better sort of guidance product essentially turning into TurboTax for death right but rather than try to sell something to this consumer because they don't need anything more to buy. This is like enormously expensive prospect. Right. They need consumer advocacy and support. And so by building this better guidance product, you can get people through the door in an efficient way and hopefully help the businesses that are, again, locally supporting them and taking them through all the things that they need that are very highly circumstantial to their uh, experiences and where they are and and all that.
0: And it sounds like it's also raising awareness from those local businesses to these consumers who would also, again, uh, they're unguided previous to that. They're not really sure what they're supposed to do. And, you know, if they're not even in the location of the person who des- who's deceased, they don't even have the, uh, the ability to, you know, walk down the street and see the funeral home or know, hey, hey, this is where everyone goes.
1: That's exactly right. We, you know, we're on the precipice of enormous demographic change, and it's going to be new generations that are sort of managing this process. And often they don't live near their parents or their grandparents. And they look to the web searching for either a local business to support this decision but find no information about it often these small businesses don't have the best sort of websites they right the photos don't look great they have no reviews this is historically a word of mouth process but that is really challenging especially to this new consumer that expects so much more but only
0: does it yeah uh, yeah i won't even look at a restaurant without you know a 100 reviews you know if, it, if it's if it even if it was like a it's interesting if it's like an established restaurant who feels like they don't need to do this online thing, they're, they'd be missing out on a great number of new consumers because today, yeah, we're, we're, that we're just trained to look at and research things online. And the trust comes in the numbers of reviews, uh, the on the ground reputation is important, but it's only if you're right there.
1: That's right. And and what you find is hundreds of thousands of searches a month looking for very specific answers to questions that only a local business, a local subject matter expert can really help with. Yeah. So when we launched, I was receiving emails and phone calls from bereaved people who ninety percent of the time I had to say, look, you need to talk to an estate attorney in your in your area or a mental health provider who can really help you through this or There are new ways to handle final disposition. There there are lots of new versions of this process, and there's no comprehensive source that sort of takes you through it that, again, can provide information that help you make a decision. Because previously, people were sort of going through this blindly and not really thinking through it. And that's on, you know, it's changing rapidly.
0: Wow, so this is is certainly not a topic that, you know, most people are thinking about on a day-to-day, Uh, I, got, I have to, to wonder, you know, what's your journey? What was your background? I, I, don't imagine, you you know, grew up thinking I, I, want to, you know, create a, a, an awareness marketplace for, for bereaved people. So, uh, (laughs) tell us about, uh, how you found yourself in this space.
1: Yeah. Uh, you don't think I just want to learn and talk about death all day long.
0: (laughs) Every, every boy's dream. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, you know, I think like many founders, I have a very meandered path in a former life. I was going to medical school. I studied nutritional sciences in college and you know, that's a very sort of rigid core curriculum. And um, But I'd always had a lot of creative passion and uh, my senior year, I decided not to continue applying to medical school because I took a US healthcare class and I was like, get out of here. I'm not going anywhere. Near oh, this. Yeah. Saw, the, saw the writing on the wall and yeah, ran. Yeah, a little bit early on. Um, and, and and so I didn't know what to do, but um, I, I again, I, I really wanted to sort of figure out how I can shift into a more creative world. and. And I got a job actually working at a technology vendor that worked within the continuing medical education community. So if you're a doctor in the United States, you have to receive um, education credits to retain your license. And in 2005, when this was happening, um, they were starting to do this remotely. So rather than like fly the doctor to La Jolla and, and uh, you know, go to a conference and then take a quiz to get your credits, they were doing this remotely. Okay. So I was uh, hired as like a project manager. I was the liaison between a medical director uh, at these companies and creative people making like what you know drugs do at a molecular level, 3d animations of, they're called mechanism of action animations. okay Or we would go out and shoot doctors on green screen and then make flash-based DVDs and send them out that they can get these sort of credits remotely after watching a, you know a program about the, their subject matter but sponsored by you know a new pill essentially. Okay. And I got this crash course in uh, technology management, creative management, but it was the, a good transition because I was able to apply my science you know, background, essentially, right? like literally bring my biochem textbook to these meetings. And I did that for a year because I knew that I wanted to continue on and do something even more creative. And I, and I found a sort of a digital advertising agency in New York uh, and it was building lots of social-based experiences for the burgeoning social media world that we all are now in, you know, sort of enveloped by so like early on i was making myspace pages for movies like and going to the premieres and meeting the actors and making websites and games and like uh, you know sort of alternate reality experiences you know, for tv shows or hbo amc
0: it's like the front front lines of digital marketing
1: yes um the guy who started the company uh, was sort of very much aware of what was happening and in 2007 really on top of um Clearly knowing that it was going to be a social-based world, and that the social web is swallowing the rest of the internet, right? Uh, and yeah, we we made Facebook apps, and it was wonderful because I got this huge crash course in digital marketing. Okay. got to really build amazingly fun, you know, visceral experiences in, in code, and it was it was just amazing. That 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 ten-year period from like 2006 to you know, I guess 2015 was like the golden age of digital advertising. I think there were just so many fun, creative experiences because the web was really accelerating and people had fun, just ex- like experimenting and, and trying new things and having fun before the social web and mobile phones sort of swallowed it all. And it was all algorithm based.
0: Yeah. I, I remember there's, there's the glory days of the Facebook apps and like every movie and everything went out there would try to try something new and they, they'd have this new platform that Facebook came out with an app that you could now play with and people started doing that.
1: Exactly. Or, you know, um, I, like produced this avatar creator for mad men season three where you <laughs> created your lifelike version of it i still see that avatar on twitter today it's like hysterical you know we got like three million people to do it and then at the time in 2008 it was amazing i mean it was just like so much fun yeah and um of course along the way like built chops and production management i was the executive producer there and i ran the production department with a, a co-executive producer I had teams of people so i really sort of picked up a lot of skills along the way Um, And and in 2011, I left that place and I went to a big brand agency. I wanted to learn about big brand creative. It was called Wyden and Kennedy, very famous for all of the Nike commercials you see of all time. Dan Wyden penned, Just Do It. I mean, really uh, deep, deep brand strategy, creative uh, work. Uh, And there I was sort of responsible for finding new opportunities for digital creativity. Um, And I got a huge, obviously, lesson in brand strategy. Uh, And along the way, uh, over that time, I started through a lot of death in my family. Uh, Mm. uh, My mom lost pretty much the closest people to her uh, uh, in her life. And I had this really strange experience online. Uh, When this first started, my aunt passed away. I I, um, uploaded her obituary of the New York Times. And I got an email from Legacy.com. I had never heard of Legacy.com. Okay. And I got this email and it said, we created a a page or profile. I was like, what is this? And I go to it and it ingested all the assets I had uploaded to the Times for the print edition, but rendered this page that was riddled with display advertising. Oh. And the whole thing was like grotesque. I mean, I really, again, I, like I said, I, I was so, especially at that time, into the idea that creative coding can create these experiences that people can walk away from and feel things, like really visceral. And that was the antithesis of what I wanted in that moment. Well, it was visceral, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was early. Yeah, the yeah, totally. wrong way. Recoiled. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and that stuck with me. I was shocked and then fascinated by yeah. why this was so bad. Right. And I started investigating further and further just what was out there. And part of it was like, what are tools I could use? Again, I was a producer. I assumed there would be a project management tool, a better way to like Tell people where to go or how to help, and yeah. and and I found very little. And year over year, I, I saw more and more things popping up, and they seem to these these companies seem to try to want to sell something to consumers, which I think makes sense, right? These are just sort of the digitization of incumbent behaviors. They they were digital providers, but this consumer has a lot to buy. Like I said, death is really expensive, and so they need support. They they, they don't need. Uh, information from someone who's conflicted when telling them what to do, only to sort of shuffle them through a conversion funnel to something they maybe don't want to purchase. Right. And I just felt like there was a there had to be a better model to um, make this experience much easier. Uh, after Widen, and I, um, the, the head of technology there, and I, a friend of mine, we left and we started our own uh, creative studio. We were building other people's products. I did a lot of um, really cool installation work. Did this huge art installation for Samsung, got to travel the world, a lot of AR and VR for Facebook. And, and we, um, we liked it, but it wasn't fulfilling. And we, and I had this idea for a long time that we should focus on this category. And in, uh, in 2020 we shut down the business and, and, and started to figure out what our thesis would be. And we built out a prototype uh, it's called funeral com. Funeral checklist.com.
0: I bought, <laughs> bought the domain for like 10
1: bucks and right. wrote the whole thing myself. And, um, A couple hundred dollars on edwards we got four thousand people to use it oh wow and i was really shocked by how directly applicable it was when it was so simple and i was able to raise capital from the data that we had collected and we launched autumn in the summer of 22. that's amazing and then from here
0: are you how are you looking to use the branding background you have
1: or how have you done that in in your creation of autumn um Naming the company was actually one of the hardest things we had to do, because hmm. you needed to be of the category, but not overtly of the category. I felt.
0: Yeah, we we had uh, a guest, uh, Sarah Griffithy, on our on our show before, and we discussed death tech. Yeah, and death tech is a very, I guess, visceral, work for. A, there's many people who aren't a huge fan of that of that term. Uh, and to your point, uh, yeah, it's the branding of a of a of a company. You you can't be death because
1: no one wants to buy death, right? Yeah, it's also really hard to talk about that. You, you, you need to build trust to be sort of um, a source, like a trusted source for a taboo conversation. Uh, and there are tons of consumer brands out there that do that very effectively. Um, and and I, th- I when thinking about the business, it didn't make sense to me that did, that, that didn't exist already. There mm. had to be a way to really thread that needle well. Um, and, and so it's really tricky. The, the benefit that we have in the way that we've positioned ourselves in the market is that I don't actually have to sort of um, talk about this topic very much because people are actively seeking it out. I think what people don't recognize is that there's hunger for this, no matter who you are, hmm. where you are, whatever situation you're in and whatever part of the process you are, whether you're dealing with the death immediately or a couple weeks later dealing with the funeral or months later dealing with probate or, or finalizing an estate. Um, a lot of other companies need to sort of say, hey. You don't have a will. You're, you're going to die soon. You, you could die, <laughs> and that preventive medicine is challenging, and you have to be very overt. And so, I wanted to make sure that the brand really focused on consumer advocacy, hmm. no matter what you're going through, because I think that's what they need most. That, that's amazing. Um, well, thank you, thank you, Daniel,
0: for for sharing a bit about autumn, um, and uh, you know, grounding this back in, in Los Angeles, and glad, glad that you're here um what is uh what's the most la thing that's happened to you it could be
1: tech related or not um i know that you asked everyone that question i thought a lot about it <laughs> on the way over here um i'm i'm somewhat new to la though i've been here three years i, I moved here right before covid so right. of course it was. so, so one definitely. year of your apartment yeah and then like <laughs> exactly. two years of maybe exactly. checking it out and, and i'm from brooklyn and i've lived nowhere else but new york city and so it was, was a big change, and so I, I was laughing to myself that the biggest LA thing for me was was leasing a car. <laughs> you know, like wow, I, uh, that that yeah. is novel.
0: That is an LA thing. Yeah, especially for a native New Yorker to come here. Yeah, there, it is. It, it, I mean, it's a it's a saying. It's like kind of a preconceived notion, but it's like very much a reality. There's some people who get away with having like maybe one car for
1: a two person couple, but. Uh, yeah, that's great. I, I love it. That's a good one. Thank you. No, it, it, and we got away with it. it my girlfriend and I were, didn't have a car for a while. She was, she could walk to her her place yeah. uh, in Venice where, where she was working at the time. And, oh, and it was COVID. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually, even before COVID, it, you know, we were still sort of benefiting from like free VC money that made Uber's really cheap, and okay. it didn't didn't really matter. Uh, but, but but then we're like, ah, yeah, the car could help. So I think for me, that was. Uh, but every other moment is is very LA. I think like New York, there's just you know. In moments it's beautiful and then it could be a character uh, of itself uh, uh, you know it's uh, it, everything is uh, we live on the beach it smells like the ocean uh, it's pretty la it? oh man
0: i'm i uh, i'm a huge fan there's no doubt about that uh well thank you so much daniel for coming down to the studio man, my pleasure thank you uh, i'd like to thank our sponsors again it's pma at pma.la and unida and it's um autumn.co yes autumn.co um Thank you all for for listening to us. And if you like what you hear, please smash that subscribe button. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.